Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope your week is getting off to a real kick. Uh, Hope you're focusing on uh, mental health. How is your mental health doing? Hope you're answering that uh, honestly. And also asking those around you, hey, how's your mental health? That's how we check in on people. That's how we let people know that we're safe to talk about mental health with and also kind of normalize that discussion, which is very, very important. Again, we have a lot of shame around questions like that. So um, ask yourself, how's my mental health? Maybe make that a loving question to those that you care about and feel close to. Ask them, hey, how's your mental health been today, this week? It's a really good way to start to build more intimacy and closeness. And again, let people know that you're one of those individuals that can tolerate hearing that. That's how we save ourselves. That's how we save other people. And more importantly, that's how we really, really bond. I love that. Um, Let's get into some news though. Ikea, they're being sued by the Polish government. And that's because they fired a homophobe who told a colleague that gay people deserved death. Um, Look, y'all keep your homophobia to yourself. Companies don't want it anymore. Neither do, you know, individuals. I'm all about that. You know, if you are spreading hate and violence, companies, um, networks, all different sorts of platforms have a right to say, yeah, not here, not, not anymore, man. Uh, go educate yourself, do better or keep your thoughts to yourself. That's violent. And yeah, it's not also just bad for the company. So I'm glad we don't, that we don't live in a time anymore where you can just kind of spew such things. Why? Well, here's another example. Why a gay grandpa, I don't even know what that means was blackmailed by the threat of being outed on grinder. The unnamed victim went to the police and the young blackmailer was arrested in a sting operation. Now that's horrible. So a gay grandfather in England was terrified because someone younger that he met on Grinder was saying he was gonna blackmail him. Um, that's what my point is. We live in a homophobic culture still, right? The video, uh, the documentary Welcome to Chechnya, which is absolutely heartbreaking and everyone needs to watch it. We need to raise more awareness around LGBTQIA violence. And that you know documentary shows how in Russia you can be murdered and brutalized for being gay. It's heartbreaking. We have so much work to do. We need to start really continuing to call out homophobia, transphobia, all sorts of things because it is still illegal in some places and punishable by death for being gay or trans. So much work to do, but homophobia still exists in places like here in the US. Um, But as just evidence, that story, that was something that took place over in the UK. Now, examples of homophobia that are still happening in the US is, let's say, how the uh, Trump, his senior advisor, 
tweeted support for conversion therapy. Well, that's disgusting because the American Psychological Association has said that that is not only not something that's productive, it actually causes mental damage and leads to suicidality. But nonetheless, his senior advisor, Jenna Ellis, the bigot, tweeted her support for conversion therapy and also has attacked LGBTQIA people on her on her Twitter. Why is that being allowed? How's that person being put into a position of power? Well, because we have Donald Trump as our president and he's a bigot himself. And so things like that are allowed. But my point is, we still are in a cultural moment where homophobia, folks, is alive and well. And uh, got so much more work to do. So what does that mean? It means shutting down homophobic and transphobic jokes, right? Not letting people use problematic language around you. Uh, Making sure representation exists. Making sure that gays and trans individuals are included in marketing, in PR, in storylines, in the classroom. Talking about gay individuals throughout history and the great things that they've brought to our culture. Um, Social advancements. Letting teachers be openly gay. Letting characters on television be gay. Letting straight individuals have more encounters and familiarity with gay individuals. Talking about it. Acknowledging that it exists. Changing sex education to include gay-based sex education. I mean, that is how we create cultural change is inclusion, right? First, you get people just familiar and tolerant around such things. That's the first step. And you do that by talking about it, by showing it. Then they start to move into the stage of acceptance where they're like, okay, uh, they might not support it, but they'll accept it, meaning they'll allow it, they'll acknowledge it. And then the final stage that we need to get to is celebration, where we realize it's actually good to be gay. It's not just okay, it's actually good. I actually celebrate it. I actually am not minding it. I actually don't mind acknowledging it, welcoming it, being a part of it, right? And that's why I laugh when they have the heterosexual pride, because every day is heterosexual pride, right? Like that's everything, everywhere, every space is centered in that, every movie, every song. And so just carving out some space to honor LGBTQIA identity is really important. Um, And it, again, saves lives. Like individuals are actually healed. Studies show having one supportive individual in the life of someone who's gay, someone who's gay's life, having one supportive individual can decrease suicidality dramatically. And the LGBTQIA community still has one of the highest suicide rates. And that is because of oppression and violence, uh, continued lack of acceptance. And so let's center that, you know, moving through the rest of the year always, but especially moving through the rest of the year. Let's make that really a goal and a priority. And uh, let's vote out Trump. (laughs) That's a key component because he's rolled back LGBTQIA rights uh, dramatically and continues to. So, uh, all right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about social media literacy. And that's important because social media is a powerful part of our mental health, but also all of our lives for many, many hours a day. In fact, my phone scares me sometimes when it tells me how many hours I've been on my phone. (laughs) It's taunting me. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time to talk about some social media literacy. So listen, our psychology, our mental health is an open system, meaning it's always absorbing. It's always being impacted. It's always in motion. And everything you surround yourself with, everything you read, everything you listen to, conversations you have, conversations you're part of, things you look at, impact your mental health. It's an open system. And we spend many, many hours a day in our social media and media of all kinds. And it's just now that we're really starting to pay attention to the impact it has on our mental well-being. And we can use it to remove some issues. We can also use it to really promote higher functioning, 
more well-being, more joy, more happiness. And uh, I have a really great graphic that I use when I travel the country lecturing and training in this training program that I'm a part of. And it has this individual sitting in front of a television and you can see this thing coming out of the television going into his brain. And it really just demonstrates how, you know, well, this is actually one of the things I say, and then I mean this, I say, show me your social media and you show me your psyche. Show me what you follow on social media and you show me your mental health because we're constantly taking it in. It's really setting up scripts for us. It's showing us ideals, norms, values. And um, if it's reflecting back who we are and how we want to believe, then all's well. But if it's constantly telling us we need to be something different, something other than what we are, then that's a way that it's working against us, right? So technology, such as social media and our cell phones and whatnot, are not neutral tools, meaning they're not neutral. They have an impact, right? And again, we're looking at is it positive or is it negative? How can we harness it to benefit us, right? Because we do have control over what we create. We do have control over what we post. We do have control over what we continue to empower by supporting it, by following it, by liking it, by putting our money behind it. So we often are maintaining and strengthening the same systems, ideals, or norms that we also keep ourselves trapped in. And so the work is about using your social media in a more therapeutic way, what you post, what you follow. And I want people to analyze what they're posting and what they're following, right? Because we have control over that. We have power over that. We empower certain norms and ideals and values. But I want it to be reciprocated, meaning what are we putting out there that impacts others? And what are we following that impacts us? What are we allowing? Because we can change that. So the work is about, and this is on some of my social media, if you want to really follow the transcript. But the question first is, what's the message? What's my message? What's their message? What are they telling me covertly or overtly? What are they telling me directly or indirectly? When I'm looking at this, what is it saying? If it could speak, what would it say? That matters. What are they promoting? Because everything's a promotion of something. Everything's a communication of something. Either they're just saying, this is what I value or this is what I think is meaningful, or it's a literal promotion. But look at what are they trying to get across? Um, is it marginalizing anyone? Because often some of these things are marginalizing people. They're leaving someone out or they're oppressing someone. Who are they marginalizing? Is it inclusivity-based? Do I feel brought in? Or do I feel left out as a result of following this or looking at this? Or what you're posting? Is what I'm posting telling some individual that they don't have worth or they don't exist? Am I centering my privilege? Am I using my platform to heal? Am I following things that are healing? Some of these platforms are just utilizing or relying upon exclusionary privileges. They're maintaining this idea that there's a certain way of being in the world. Do you feel shamed by it? Are you shaming anyone with what you're posting? I love that as an assessment tool. After I look at it, or I'm done scrolling, do I feel better or worse? Do I feel more shame or less shame? Follow things that make you feel better. Follow things that make you feel less shamed, not more shamed. It's our social media. It should bring you joy and happiness. It should make you feel better. Use that technology and that tool for enhancement. Does it tell you you need to be different? Is it implying that you're not okay as you already are? because that's not gonna help with your mental health. You wanna be following things and posting things that tell people, you know what, it's okay to be your age. It's okay to be your body shape or size. It's okay to be have different abilities. Having disabilities still means you have worth and value and desirability, right? Like all these factors matter. Does it empower or disempower? Does it shrink you down or expand you, right? How do you feel before? How do you feel during? How do you feel after? I want people to ask that about everything, dates, sex, time with family members and friends, that's how we assess the impact it's having on us. How do we feel before when we think about engaging it or going on? How do we feel during and after? If when you think about going to social media, you feel anxious or bad already, well, that's a problem. That means it's not a tool that's enhancing. How do you feel while you're swiping around? 
And again, more importantly, how do you feel after? And that lets us know what changes need to be made in terms of the sex we're having, the kind of sex, who we're having sex with, the people we're dating, maybe even your boyfriend or husband. How do I feel when I see them calling or when I'm on my way home? How do I feel when I'm with them? How do I feel after I've been with them? Better, worse? I had to use that for some friends in my life where I realized they, they're draining. When I see them calling, I'm already exhausted and I haven't even answered yet. During the phone call, I notice that I'm feeling frustrated. Afterwards, I feel depleted. But it doesn't mean we just remove things or people. Sometimes the work is about having difficult conversations and saying, hey, I want it to be more of a positive experience when we engage each other or we need to have sex differently. I'm often left feeling depleted or uncomfortable. It's because I'm not speaking up. I don't want to have the sex we're having or I want to have it differently, right? Or if it's a relationship, maybe you need to say, look, I've been misleading you. I've been implying that I'm okay with it being casual, but I'm actually looking for something more serious. And so I feel abandoned after we hang out. I think I need to exit or I need to ask for something more serious and committed, right? Because sometimes we're misleading others because we're not speaking up and we're not letting them know that we want something other than what's happening. And remember, relationships are flexible so we can change and shift what we're centering, what the rules are, what the labels are, what the structure is. Same with our social media. Unfollow the things that make you feel bad and promote being other than what you are and start following the things that are like, hey, you're awesome the way you are. Hey, the body you have is perfect. Or let's not even worry or consider our bodies, right? Um, And also same things with relationships. Tell your friends, let's not be the kind of friends that are constantly talking poorly about others and gossiping. Let's be an empowered based group that talks in a positive way about ourselves and others that we leave feeling better off and not depleted and judged, right? Like all these things matter, you know? So do the work, you know, you matter. That's the goal. Coming up next, we're gonna talk about mental illness and how the goal of mental illness or mental health and well-being isn't about being normal. That word is really judgmental and a pejorative. It's about just being you. We're gonna break that down. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back, and now we're going to talk about mental illness and mental health. Listen, we have this word normal. Everyone wants to be normal. It's the number one goal a lot of children and youth have. I just want to be normal. I want to be like everyone else. It's like first phase of life stuff, right, where we just want to fit in. Conformity and assimilation are the goal. We want to look like everyone. Looking different isn't cool or fun. But hopefully in adulthood, we move towards more mental health. It's about just being ourselves, being authentic, being liberated, being honest, being free, being true. And that will often mean not fitting and not being conformist driven, right? So check that. Second phase of life, adulthood, whenever that emerges or happens, is about not trying to strengthen the ego anymore. It's not about the money you have or the car you drive or the label or title. It's now about your legacy, the meaning and value of what you're doing with your time in your life. Do you like what you're leaving your legacy? Do you like what you're spending all your time doing? Do you like the impact you're having in the world? Does your life bring you meaning and joy? We don't use words like normal or conformity, but psychology is obsessed with those things. But it shames health because health often is about living outside norms and values of our culture. Because remember, our culture has a lot of problematic norms and values. We think everyone needs to be white, Western Eurocentric beauty standards. Everyone needs to be white with straight hair, lighter skin, the better. Everyone needs to be gym bodied, fight aging, look as young as possible, dye the grays, do anti-aging creams, you know, have to have a gym body. You have to take all these unhealthy chemicals and protein powders. Um, what else? You have to be cisgendered. You have to be male or female. And you have to be masculine if you're quote unquote male identified and feminine if you're female. 
and never step outside of those things. And you better be married and you better be monogamous. Otherwise you're not serious or committed and you better make a lot of money because it's all about classism. Because if you center your life around pleasure and joy and rest, then we think you're lazy and not productive. I mean, think about those values. That's a mess, right? That is not what life is supposed to be about. And that's absolutely what mental health is not about. And so often going after mental health is to be a renegade, a rebel in our culture. I mean, I've seen that just working as a psychologist for over 15 years, that often the work is about people pushing outside of those expectations that as a woman or a woman of a certain age in our culture, you don't need to be married or have a child. And if not, that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. I saw that happen with my older brother when he got out of a serious relationship. People are like, oh, someone's going to think something's wrong with you if at your age you're not married. Really? Well, that's a very unhealthy, toxic person. And that's too conformist. You know what I mean? People that have health don't think in those terms. But we use these studies to find statistical averages. And everyone lives on the front end or back end of that. No one really meets that average. And you don't need to. But in mental health, it's all about being normal. And I saw that come up. A friend of mine posted on her Facebook page a story of someone with an alternative sexuality. And everyone started mocking and laughing. And I thought, wow, look at all these people that have so much work to do and are, are punishing this person for just living their life in the most honest way. And in our culture, them living that life is actually far more rooted in mental health than the people uncomfortable with it or mocking it. So the people calling him unhealthy were the unhealthy ones. They were so uncomfortable with someone living their honest, authentic life, and they needed to publicly shame and attack. So remember, when someone's using the word normal, and I don't even know what that means, because usually it's rooted in all those problematic things I just listed, say to them, that is not the goal. That is not mental health. To live to be adjusted in our unhealthy culture is not the goal. That's not health, right? And there really is no standard, you know? And it's often rooted in a lot of judgment and discrimination because the work in mental health and relational health and sexual health is creativity and diversity because that's how the world works. Remember, when we look at the plant and animal kingdom, they see that as a strength. Diversity is good. But in a human culture, we like conformity, but that's actually bad for us. That doesn't help us produce art, right? Art is rooted in creativity and diversity. We need that. We need to value that. But we label it. We shame it. I remember when I was in high school, I was a punk rock kid and I was getting tattooed and wearing all black and culture couldn't handle that. Now it's cool. Now it's easy. You know, but back then it was very rebellious and problematic. I remember my parents saying I couldn't go out for dinner with them unless I was going to wear some color. Why did the color of the clothing I chose to wear have anything to do with my worth or value or whether or not as a good person or my character? I was always a good person and that shouldn't matter. In fact, in our culture, me being willing to live my life the way I wanted to live it was actually a sign of greater mental health than the people that were wearing what everyone was told to wear. And so I want everyone to just feel more comfortable in their individuality, you know, in their creativity and their beautiful diversity. We need more of that. Um, we want people to live their lives honestly. And that's why I love the movement right now in gender diversity, where people are saying, you know, I'm trans or I'm non-binary. I love it. We're pushing on the boundaries. Everything's bigger than these two options only, male or female, straight or gay, um, friend or, you know, committed monogamous partner. So much of life really lives in those in-between spaces, but we tend to shame and pathologize that. But that's where a lot of beauty and health lives. That's where... It's where more honesty lives, you know? So we're gonna keep working on that. Question tonight, it's up on our Loveline IG page and the story, so weigh in on that. We'll be breaking that on down later in the show as well as talking about whether or not taking selfies is really rooted in narcissism. I love that debate. 
Uh, but coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a question for us, drop them in our Loveline IG DMs. Always answering them confidential and anonymously. And uh, whenever you ask a question, it might be someone else who's wondering the same thing. And it also helps us all kind of get some gems and get a little gold out of it. So drop your questions in there. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore it with confidence. All right. This one asks, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm just feeling so unmotivated to do things right now. Between our president being a moron <laughs> to the COVID thing, I'm just tired. <laughs> I feel you. Is there anything or are there things you like doing to keep yourself motivated? I like this. I like this one. Uh, it's okay to be unmotivated. I, you know, I don't like the idea that we should always be motivated. No, sometimes we just don't want to do anything. Sometimes that's because there's nothing to do or we don't have access to things. It's okay to rest. It's okay to sleep. It's okay to nap. It's okay to distract. It's okay to go watch six hours of television, go masturbate for six hours, uh, go eat cookies and donuts for six hours, whatever you need to do, man, handle your stuff. So, what do I do that keeps me motivated? Truth. I go with my natural flow. There's some days I want to do nothing. I clear my day out. I take the day off. I sleep in. I nap. Keep my sweatpants on. Drink some coffee. You know, you just follow your flow. I don't, I'm not about uh, performance, peak performance, or maximizing the day. That's not honest. That's not true. That's exhausting. It's toxic capitalism that's tying our worth of our time to productivity. You know, using your time to rest or heal isn't lazy. It's actually really beautiful and beneficial. And so I don't motivate myself. I do what I want to do. Now, some of that comes with privilege, but we can all find moments of that. If I don't feel drawn to something, it's not right for me or I'm not right for it right now. And I don't do it. I don't force myself. I, I follow my natural energy, you know? And so if I feel like reading, I read. If I feel like doing something else, I do that. So I don't use words like that. I don't use words like motivation because that usually means it's not something that has true meaning or value for you. And the work is in accepting that or changing that or going up against that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's anything we need to push ourselves into. Um, so don't use words like that. And there's some people that think that that's what psychology and mental health is about, right? Is motivation and goals. And no, I think that it's more of a, we should be focusing more on leisure and pleasure and self-care and making meaning out of our lives and not defining ourselves by productivity or what we've achieved or what we're working on. I think that that's a flaw. I think that that's unhealthy. And I think that that really works against us and that keeps a lot of people trapped. And so just be where you are, accept that, learn that, value that. Here's another one. Dear Dr. Kristen Loveline, what are some tips for better communication about sex? I love this. Even though my partner and I have been together for almost two years, I still feel shy when it comes to sex. How can we explore new things? I love this. Uh, first, start with yourself. You know, really examining what turns you on. What are the sights, sounds, smells, activities, places that turn you on? It's what we call your true sexual orientation or your arousal template. Write it down. Take some time, a couple weeks or months, and notice people in the world, things in porn, things in songs, fantasy. Figure out who you are. And then if your partner's safe and non-judgmental and they're open to just saying thank you to whatever you share, share that with them. Um, but first you have to get comfortable with yourself and maybe building up to that, you start getting comfortable talking about sex, saying words like penis and vagina and referencing when you're aroused, talking about the fact that you fantasize and what you fantasize about. We slowly move into revealing ourselves more and more as our partners earn our trust to do so. But all day long, there's many moments where we could start practicing talking about sexuality in a more confident adult way. And the more we do it, the more we get comfortable, and the more we do it, our partners get comfortable. 
And once we can start just acknowledging its existence, then we can start talking about who we are and maybe what we want or what we're looking for. But you always have to start with yourself. And so I want to make sure that you're fully able to encounter your total sexuality without any shame or guilt. And once you be able to, once you're able to do that, then you can confidently start expressing yourself to your partner, learning about each other, and then using that as a way to explore new things. We all have parts of ourselves that we have shame about. No one's totally sexually liberated in our culture. It's very difficult. It's not possible. We're held back by slut shaming, made up terms like sex addiction. People are anti-porn. We are trapped by our gender. Um, by the bodies we have, how desirable we feel with ourselves and towards others. All these different forces really lock us down and don't, us, don't let us embody our full selves. And so we have to work against all that. And once you have that, you can start bringing yourself to your partner. But that's a gift. We bear our souls, ourselves, truly to our partners. It's a gift. They should say thank you, right? Whether or not they're interested, open, or hearing what they want, they still say, thank you for caring enough to bear yourself to me. But they have to earn that trust, right? They have to earn, we have to know that we're safe to do that. Otherwise, it can work against us and just reinforce that anxiety and that fear and that trauma. So, all right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about selfies and narcissism. Selfies get a bad rap, man. It really does. Same thing with sexting. We're gonna talk about some of the mental health capacities within it that are healing and positive and transformative. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now we're going to talk about the intersections of selfies and narcissism and mental health. So it's always assumed that people that take a lot of pictures of themselves or selfies are narcissists, right? People that are a little too focused on themselves. And the studies show that that can be true in some cases and not true in other cases. But, you know, studies always show that. <laughs> they can really pretty much support anything you're looking to have them support. Um, and when they were looking at the differences in men and women, the study that I'm looking at now was showing that women tend to take pictures more in groups and men more alone, which is odd. But the problem in that is were the men gay, were the men straight, were the women trans or cis, what race were they from, what class, like all that matters. And so the minute you hear a study just saying men are women, it's like, oh my God, okay, all these other intersecting identities of theirs matter and I need to know what the population was because I need to be able to break that on down. Were they black, were they white, were they gay, were they straight, were they trans, like that matters. So that study doesn't really give me anything. But I wanna say it like this, look, some people that are of some kind of marginalized or exploited, or exploited identity, whether they're fat bodied or they're non-white or they're not uh, cisgendered, it's a really powerful act of health, healing, and revolution to take selfies and post them. Because when you're living in a world that says only people that are deemed desirable have a right to expose themselves and show themselves, that keeps us all trapped. I wanna see more pictures of older bodies. I wanna see more pictures of fat bodies, trans bodies, bodies with body hair, whether they're male or female presenting. That is what's liberatory. That's what helps heal us. That's what's more honest. And so, the, consist, the constant encountering of only a certain type of person putting out a photo or taking a photo is problematic. And so again, marginalized, exploited individuals taking lots of photos of themselves is often a form of therapy for them. Them saying, I have a right to occupy space. I have a right to be seen. I have a right to demonstrate and show myself. I have a right to not have to hide. I don't have to be ashamed. And that's why I find it so beautiful when larger bodies are shirtless on the beach or in a bathing suit. They're saying, I don't need to cover up in shame. I don't need to hide. I'm allowed to hold space and exist. I'm allowed to be seen. And it's so healing and transformative for some people to start to show parts of their bodies, scars, uh, cellulite, whatever it is, that's healing. 
but we often only see a certain kind of person that meets these ideal standards taking photos. For them, it might be narcissistic, and, and for them, it might also be them strengthening these problematic norms that we all are buckling under the weight of. But someone taking a lot of photos is gonna have a lot of different meanings. Also, like with sexting. Sexting comes from a different source depending on who the person is. For some people, it's an, it's an attempt to feel good and desirable in their body. For some, it's to court and get the attention of others. For some, it's because it turns them on. And for yet others, they're practicing the stages of courtship and romance and flirtation, and they're learning. They're finding out about how desirable they are, or they're trying to build intimacy and connection. And so we never know what's behind someone's behavior, right? We always need to ask more questions. We always need to find out, like, maybe there's something healing in it. And that's why I, I always cringe when I see people problematizing the use of social media or selfies, because you don't know what psychological mechanism it might be compensating for or strengthening, you know? And there's certain people in my practice where that's their work, to show more of themselves publicly and on social media, to occupy space, to lean in, not lean out, right? And it can be healing for others to see that. And I see those comments. People say it all the time to me when I hold space for people that are disabled to be sexual and attractive. They say, thank you. It's very healing to see that. Or when I challenge aging and saying that we don't need to be anti-aging. In fact, we can't. We need to normalize aging and also normalize finding it desirable and beautiful. And they say, Dr. Chris, thank you. I woke up and I read that and that made me feel good about myself. Or normally I struggle in that way. Or I say things like, wear whatever you want. Don't dress for your size. That's not real or honest. There's no, there's no rules. Wear what you want. Real, wear what makes you happy. Let's break out of these confines. And so for some people, taking a photo of their body is part of that social justice work. These different accounts, of, I was just looking at one earlier today of someone who's and identifies as disabled and she was posting very sexual erotic photos of herself. And it was so healing to the disabled community to see that. And it also helped normalize it for people that are able-bodied and normally write off the erotic capacities of different kinds of abilities in the world. Um, it's, it's good for all of us. We all need to, again, be exposed to differences and things challenging these very rigid, like monolithic forms of beauty. And, you, you know, art needs to accommodate that. Um, but this is also where we go back to when I was talking about social media literacy, where we get to use our social media as a way to be therapy. It really, really can. All technology, as we talked about in an earlier segment, um, can be used in service of our journey or in service of social justice. And I want everyone to really look at what their social media is, what, like what role it's playing in all of that. And maybe how can you harness it more towards the deficits or where you have shame and kind of push through that. Because remember, shame is maintained in hiding and withdrawing. Shame wants us to retreat. And the way we work through shame is exposure and showing and leading with, leaning into, not hiding. Hiding it doesn't help us develop comfort, seeing it, feeling it, or having it seen, right? Because shame is a social emotion. Uh, we have to socially work through that. So sit with that. It's important stuff. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the uh, topic of emotional cheating. What is it? right? What is it? It's also misused and misapplied. So we'll be breaking that on down. And then question of the night. So still some time to weigh in on that. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. 
All right, we're back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page and the stories weighing on that. That's there every night. Uh, make your voice heard. Speak truth to power. Y'all, now's your chance. Also sliding on into those DMs on our Loveline page as well. If you got a question, a thought, a comment, look, it's free game. Anything, anything. And I uh, hope you're checking out my live stream show. I'm listening live. That is on all the radio.com handles, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, go back, check out past episodes. It's always a celebrity and an expert talking about all things mental health and COVID. And what's really beautiful about it is that we have conversations that the celebrities often don't get to have where we're talking about their mental health, self-care, how they're managing. It's, it's, you know, it's not just about their projects. And they really, really, really like that. It's very vulnerable. It's beautiful. So that's on Thursday nights, live streams at 5 p.m. Pacific. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. And like I said, go back, check out all the past episodes and a uh, love line you want to go back check out old love lines binge post share check out something again it's podcasted at we and also radio.com so um yeah it's all out there um emotional cheating it's one of those buzzwords or concepts that I cringe often because of the way people perceive it. Because remember, we're always trying to find the balance between what's a healthy relationship and what's a toxic one. And we've used this word before. Some people, the way they run their relationships just aren't really healthy or sustainable. And it's the rules or regulations that they apply, the way they've been socialized to think it should go. And so it's not that the people aren't healthy. It's that they have these really bad expectations. And we use the word toxic monogamy, which means the way we run our monogamous relationship, excuse me, it's the way that we sometimes run our monogamous relationships are toxic for us and maybe for them. So emotional cheating, listen, we're allowed even in a marriage or a long-term relationship, we're allowed to have privacy and boundaries. And we're also allowed to have friendship. We're allowed to have friends that we go to for certain intimacy needs met that maybe our partner can or won't. We don't have to get every need met from our primary romantic partner. And that's part of where we break out of toxic forms of monogamy, where people think, oh my God, no, your romantic partner, your primary partner should be your source of everything. Really? Why? That also limits who you can be with. But if you realize I'm allowed to have friends and that they can provide things my partner doesn't, then more people get to exist in your life. Your partner shouldn't buckle under the weight of being your best friend and your therapist and your lover and your sex partner and your romance partner. That's a mess. doesn't need to be like that. You can go to your romance partner for romance and sex and certain forms of intimacy and then talk to your best friend about deep things. But some people call having a friendship, aka some emotional intimacy, as cheating. And, and I think that that's very toxic and unhealthy and also just not fair. Um, so you have to really, really unpack, like, what is the, what do I think is right and wrong? And is there damage, right? Because you're allowed to be emotionally intimate with other people and often emotional cheating, which can be a form of cheating. And if you've, you know, committed to monogamy, first off, let me say this. If you've committed to monogamy and it's a big struggle for you or it's not working, then maybe you're not built for it and be honest and open and share that and talk about other options. But if you're going to do it, you want to discuss with your partner what monogamy means, right? Because everyone has a different definition and some people might be accused of cheating when for them, no, what they're doing actually isn't cheating to them. So we all need to talk about this word we use. So if you're going to be in a monogamous relationship, make sure you say, what, what do you define as being monogamous? Because some people are down with things that other people aren't, but they never talked it out. And this is one of those things. I want people to say, look, I reserve the right to have friends of all different genders. I want to be able to be friends with my exes because again, I'm assuming you're in a relationship with someone you trust that trusts you and you want to be able to have intimacy with them. You want to be able to sit down and have deep talks with them. Now, I don't want people lying, but privacy is different. But lying is when you purposefully withhold. Lying is when you create damage. Lying is when you break trust. So I want partners to know that you have friends. Partners know that maybe you have deep conversations with them. You know what I mean? It's it's the it's the damaging part that we want to get away from, right? 
we don't want to break trust. We don't want to lie. We don't want to keep secrets. We don't want to manipulate. And so we want to be open about who we're talking to, who we're texting. Because if you're lying about having friendships or texting people or certain people, you have to figure out, is it my shame or is it my partner's shame? Is it that I'm being unhealthy or is my partner unhealthy in their expectations and what they try to allow or not allow in my life? Because healthy relationships, everyone's in on the rules and regulations and boundaries. We're not told. We agree. And if you feel like you're being told to do things, you need to reorient that power and say, listen, I want to agree with things, but I'm not going to be told because relationships aren't about ownership. Relationships aren't about never disappointing or frustrating or letting down our partner. That's not realistic and that's not life. And so you want to maintain the relationships you maintain, but we should be in relationships that our, our friendship should be supportive. Let me say it like this. I'm going to assume that if you're in a relationship that's romantic, that it's with someone who's healthy and worthy of trust. I'm assuming that, which means our friendships should be ones that are supportive of our partners and relationships. And if they're not, you need to look at who's the issue, the friend or the relationship. Is my friend really pointing out a problem that I'm not willing to honor? Um, Because if not, then all's well. Right, so you really want to break down like what is the, what is the true issue? But again, be very thoughtful about the use of emotional cheating because it can be misapplied to someone just having a close relationship with a friend, and we're allowed to do that. Not everyone can be everything, and certain friends can provide things partners can't. So we don't want to hold secrets, and I want us to all be in relationships where we don't need to. We can openly say, "Hey, I'm having dinner with this person." You don't need to lie about who or lie that it's happening at all. They can know who you're texting. Maybe they've met your friends. They know who these people are. But the idea that going to a friend for a need to get met is codependence or emotionally cheating isn't isn't a good model for that. And so that's why I don't use the word emotional cheating. I just don't use words like that. I use words like, what kind of commitment have you made? Are you honoring that? Are you breaking trust? Is what you're doing in service of health? Is it harming anyone? I use words that are more centered in the actual impact and intent. Uh, but just these cliche words like emotional cheating are very often misapplied and they can sometimes just come from our anxiety where we'll use it to label something that we're uncomfortable with, but we don't really go deep enough to say, should we even honor that discomfort? Like, is that reasonable? Because sometimes our partner's jealousy isn't reasonable and you don't have to honor it. You're allowed to say, yeah, I hear what you're saying and I know you feel jealous by that, but I can't honor that because I don't think that that's realistic. But I care about you, so I'm here to hear more about it. We can unpack it, but I don't have to acknowledge, I don't have to honor it. I don't have to like, you know, remove someone or something from my life because you're uncomfortable. Let's talk more about it. Let's sit longer with it. You know, we'll keep, we'll keep the ball in the air. You know, uh, all right, coming up next question of the night, listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right. It is time for question of the night, which is always on our love line IG page in the stories. Tonight's question is, uh, comes out of a study. So it's kind of a long one. Hang in there. So contact tracers, right? Which is tied to COVID in Germany are asking 4,000 brave music fans uh-oh, to attend an upcoming concert for the sake of science. 4,000 people. Better be a band they love. Popular German singer Tim Bensko, don't know him, will be hosting the show on August 22nd as part of Restart Study, which is about risk prevention of indoor sports and cultural events. Because again, everyone wants to get back to it all, which I respect. Money's got to be made. Businesses have to happen. So essentially, scientists are asking 4,000 people, ages 18 to 50, to participate in a pocket-sized contact tracer. It's going to track their every move. Um, and they're also going to carry a bottle of fluorescent hand sanitizer, which will show uh, residue left on their hand, doorknobs, and other surfaces. I love this so far. They're also going to keep track of the participants after the show's over to trace the virus post-show. 
Scientists hope that this will help them understand how far the virus can transmit. Now, this is maybe going to be horrifying if, you know, they go to the concert and then days later it shows up in New Zealand. You know what I mean? Like, God knows where this is going to go. So they did a poll and the poll said, how long until you attend another large scale concert? For me, it's a very long time. So uh, 16% said that they would attend a large scale concert before 2020 ends. Only 16%. I get it. Uh, but 84% said, eh, I'm going to wait till next year. 40, I'm sorry, 84% are waiting till next year. I totally get that. I totally agree with that. I totally respect that. I can't imagine in this year going to a large scale event of any kind. I really can't. I can't imagine even going back to my office this year. Uh, so the question of the night was, what would it take for you to go back to a concert or a live show? Okay. Now remember, 84% are waiting till next year. So I'm dying to know what it's going to take for you all to go back because I don't honestly, I think a vaccine, a vaccine that's widely used, I think is what it'll take. I'm not really sure because even then, yeah, I don't know. All right. What'd y'all say? Uh, what would it take for you to go back to a concert or a live show? That's a question of the night. First person said money. All right. So you need to get paid to go? Because if so, I'm wondering what concert or show pays people to attend. Am I missing something? Uh, but you might be great for the study. Um, uh, you know, there's 4,000 people in Germany. Someone else said, I'd go right now. Come on, really? Right now, you'd go to a large-scale event. You must be a Republican. Uh, someone else said a vaccine. Thank you, someone else said a vaccine. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not, I'm not messing around. I know people personally that have died. It's not a joke. It's not a hoax, y'all. It's a big deal. It's, it's, it's gnarly, and it can be nasty. I have some very close people to me that I care about that are doctors and nurses on the front line. Trust me when I tell you it's real, and I have personal friends that have died. It's no joke, y'all. Going to concerts. Come on now. <laughs> Again, the question tonight is, what would it take for you to go back to a concert or a live show? Someone else said, an effing miracle. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Like, I don't know that I ever want to shake hands again. I kind of want servers to always wear masks. I'm now more aware of infectiousness and how things are spread in general. And I don't really want any flus or viruses moving forward if I can prevent them. And so I'm going to take new precautions. Like, I don't want to shake hands anymore. Uh, be more thoughtful in hookup culture. Uh, wouldn't mind, you know, like I said, service wearing masks. Uh, I'm doing more from home. I will continue to. I've found a lot of value in being home more. Someone else said um, face mask, less people and cheaper prices. Bam. It's that prices part too. Face masks for sure. I would need to know everyone's rocking them. Uh, someone else said vaccine and common sense. So maybe never. I love that one. I know. Vaccine's coming. Maybe December or January, it's going to be possibly ready if it passes tests, we think. This is coming out of Pfizer. But I appreciate the common sense part, so maybe never. I, I'm here with that. Um, there's a, we've been seeing a lack of common sense these days, so I appreciate that. Question of the night. What would it take for you to go back to a concert or a live show? Someone else said a vaccine. Oh, another vaccine. We're all big vaccines fan, vaccine fans. I'm glad because that's the only way through this bad boy. And this thing is nasty, yo. So, like, I don't want us just washing our hands and thinking masks are going to do it. Even though we do know if we would all wear them for about two weeks, I think they said, we'd have this thing in the bag. But, again, American exceptionalism, rugged individualism, people don't care about others. They think they're special but not willing to do it. It's a mask, y'all. It's fabric. Come on. Uh, someone else said a vaccine. Someone else said 0% death rate without a vaccine. Herd immunity. Yeah, but no, but we're not seeing that. We have not seen herd immunity as a theory work anywhere. 0% um, death rate. That, where is that occurring? Everywhere I know on this planet right now has some deaths. I don't, I don't really know where that's been shown to work. Someone else said uh, when COVID is no longer present. But like, what does that mean? 
like I, I that that is a, that is a, that is so far away that I can't. I'm trying to conceive of a time when it's just not heard about anymore. It's become such common uh, common language. Like I was trying to think back the other day to what it was like prior to all this. This is such a this is literally such a new normal that I struggle to remember old ways of being. Honestly, I, I can't remember in some ways. The mask is just such an like a normalized part of my day, my time that I, I can't imagine not having it out in the world or not seeing it. I remember when it first happened, I would jump when I saw the masks. It threw me off. Now, it makes me feel comfortable. It's honest, you know? All right, coming up next, DMs. Uh, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. This is a long one, so hang in there. <laughs> hey, Dr. Chris, my brother is a recovering addict and lives with my mom. Before that, he lived with me, but he screwed up way too many times, and we kicked him out. He crashed his car. She let him use while he was drunk and high, and instead of getting mad, my mom paid to fix it. Uh, he ended up going into treatment and got his stuff together for six months, and my mom would brag to everyone about how great he's doing. Um, he's, uh, gosh, sorry. It's long. I got lost in this one. Um, the minute my mom and her boyfriend left town, I ended up having to call an ambulance for him because he took drugs and drank and ended up freaking me out and had to go to the ER. He's fine, but my mom is understandably a mess. She fully trusted that he would stay sober and was fine alone. We get in arguments because I'm, I, I'm like, well, sorry, but what do you expect? He has no consequences and never went to rehab and gets coddled. If I have anything negative or tough love advice to say, she says she doesn't want to hear it. After all that she, after all that she's like, I truly believe this is his wake-up call. Well, he's had 10 wake-up calls, and this happens every time. I'm tired of seeing her in pain. I'm tired of having panic attacks thinking of my brother ODing. I don't know what to do in this situation. Me, as a sister watching this happen, and my mom, who is obviously an enabler and not living her life because she's obsessed. How can we help? Oof. My heart goes out to you, you know? Uh, people's difficult problematic relationships with drugs and alcohol can be a lifelong struggle. And that's my first response. For some people, it's forever. Not everyone is going to have the ability to completely remove drugs or alcohol from their life. And we have to accept that. Some people can. Some people rehab helps. Others, it doesn't. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. You have to make a tough decision. I prefer people staying involved in their addict's life as much as possible and as long as possible. Um, we actually now know that letting them hit rock bottom can sometimes be the worst thing in the world and can actually lead to death. And sometimes our presence and whatever help we can provide is what helps them stay alive. And um, so I want you to be there as long as you can until it literally becomes too problematic and toxic for you and your mom. I don't know if you're there yet, but some people, their journey is one of constant relapse forever. Some people, they need 20 relapses before they get it together. If you have to step outside of that, what your work is, is loving him and caring for him to whatever point you can with whatever boundaries you need to set while living your own life and letting him live his. Uh, maybe you need to be less involved and you need to detach a little bit, but he needs to live his life. And it might be a great idea for you and your mom to get into some therapy if you're struggling to focus on your own self-care and take care of yourselves and set boundaries, but you don't need to kick him out. Uh, consequences are okay. I wouldn't be giving him money in a car. He's gonna maybe use that to harm himself, but I'd give him a place to live and I'd make sure he's showered and fed and he has to make his own decisions. Um, 
stay as connected as possible though. You know, people being distant, disconnected and on their own can actually amplify and make their drug and alcohol use worse. Sometimes having people in our lives that care about us is the only source of care that we have and that's our only connection to self-worth and self-esteem and we need that. And so do your best to be as present as possible, love them as much as you can, but set the limits when you need to, let there be some consequences. But um, focus more on self-care boundaries and kind of taking care of yourself, which I know is difficult, but um, that's what the work is really about. How can I focus more on what I need to be focusing on? What's going on in my life? Let me lean more into that, prioritize that, prioritize that more, and deprioritize what's going on with my brother. But I know it's hard. It really is. Mental health issues involving drug and alcohol use is a very toxic thing. It impacts everyone involved. Um, and sometimes it's just about doing our best, but there's not always a perfect answer or solution. But cutting them out completely and disconnecting is not the way to go. We now know that. Because um, the opposite of drug and alcohol use is connection and relationality, and he needs that uh, to whatever extent he can. And that's what will still hold some space and some hope for him. So again, hang in there as much as you can, setting boundaries, not letting it get too toxic. Sliding in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world, and we want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And as always, Loveline is podcasted at uh, wearechannelq.com and radio.com. And make sure you're checking out my show on Thursday, live stream show. I'm listening live, experts and celebrities talking about the impacts of mental health and COVID. Lots of tips, always talking about self-care. And again, that's on all the radio.com handles, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can go back and check out all the old ones as well. We've had some awesome guests awesome conversations, awesome topics. But uh, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me and you have a beautiful, beautiful night.